So good, so good. Okay, so at lunchtime, I asked a couple of you guys to make something with Play-Doh. If that was you, can you come up here on stage? If you were one of the people that I had make something, can we give it up for those artists that did not volunteer, they were voluntold. We have one here, we have some more coming up. Okay, another one right here. There should be four of you. Where are my guys at? Did you forget? No. All right, so we got one creation here. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. Hang on to that. Do we have somebody else with their Play-Doh creation? I see a couple guys looking at each other like, did you, did you make something? All right, is this all we got? Wow. Somebody owes me some Play-Doh. Okay. So we have two creations up here, or is there three? Two. Okay. All right. We're going to go with two. For, those, for, for all of those guys, because I think I had two groups of guys and two groups of girls, you guys owe me tomorrow some Play-Doh creations. All right? Deal? It's just everybody say yes on behalf of who has the Play-Doh. Yeah. You heard him. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, first of all, what's your name? Ellie. Ellie, everybody say hi, Ellie. Hi. And your name? Courtney. Courtney and? Chloe. Okay, Ellie, Courtney, Chloe, everybody say hi, Ellie, Courtney, and Chloe. Hi. Okay, great. All right, let's start with this one. Tell us about this, this person that you created. Who's the spokesperson here? <laughs> okay. It's an alien. It's an alien. Named Cliff. Named Cliff? Why Cliff? Um, we were walking and we were like talking to our friends, what should we name it? And then we said Cliff. Makes sense. Makes sense. Everybody say hi to Cliff. Can I can I see Cliff? Yeah. I'll be very careful. Okay. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna set set Cliff right here on the uh, on the table. All right. And then uh, who do we have over here? This is Santiago. This is Santiago. Everybody say hi to Santiago. Uh, is San Let me guess. Santiago's a duck. Yes, he's a duck, but he's he can't swim. Why not? Because his mom never taught him. Oh, backstory. Backstory to Santiago. Can I see yes. Santiago? I'll be very careful here. Okay, so we have Santiago and we have Cliff. Can you guys all see these guys? There. How about now? There we go. Very careful with Cliff. Awesome. Hey, can you give it up for these ladies and the work that they put into? You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Don't worry. You can trust me with these guys. Okay, so we have Cliff and we have Santiago. And uh, I'm just curious, which one's your guys' favorite? How many of you say, like, man, Cliff takes the cake right here? Okay. Santiago. Ooh, it's a little bit, little bit split. Okay. How many of you say Santiago? How many of you say Cliff? Oh, man. Oh. It's okay, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's just a little bit just a little bit smushed. He's okay. He's okay. Santiago, luckily nothing happened to Santiago. What? Did you scream in actual terror and horror? Yes! Our, our pets' heads are falling off. What is going on here? It's fine. He didn't need that anyway. I mean, really, he's, he's beautiful. He's great, right? How many of you guys, how many, how many are really disgusted with me right now? Raise your hand if you were like, <laughs> devastated. 
Man. They're fine. They're fine. Don't worry. They'll bounce back. Okay. Now let me let me put this in perspective for a second. <laughs> this is this should not bring me the joy that it brings me. I'm going to confess that to all of you right now. I was there's a couple of like football players. I was really hoping you were going to come up with something that you're really attached to and I was going to make you guys cry on stage. But um, these are Play-Doh figurines. These are, it's just Play-Doh, right? Like these are, it's just, it wasn't going to last anyway. Yet you guys are like devastated. Why is that? Because somebody put time and effort and energy and care and a backstory into these things. And just like that, they got destroyed. And something inside of you, deep at a soul level, went, Robert, what just happened was wrong. That was not okay. She's like, preach it. That's the mo- You've never said amen in my sermons yet, and now that I killed this guy, you're like, yeah, preach. You're a jerk. Um, think for a moment. When God creates the universe... He creates mankind in his image, male and female, he created them. He looks and he says, this is so good. And then sin, the lie that God can't be trusted, sneaks in and destroys what was so very good. What was so precious to God's heart. See, in all of creation, there's so much beauty out there when you look at the stars, when you look at nature. But of everything, what God actually cares about, he cares about people. He cares about you. You are the prize in all of creation. It's not the beautiful sunsets. It's not the Milky Way. It's you. It's people. And sin came in and destroyed what God had made. And God hates sin because he loves you. And sin destroys. So Jesus came to restore what, what sin had broken. Jesus came to restore what sin had broken and what sin had destroyed. There's this moment in John chapter eight, there's this woman who's caught in adultery and she's brought before Jesus and they're going, hey, this, this woman, she's committed a crime and they're wanting Jesus to say, should she be punished or should we ignore sin? Because there's this tension, like sin is, is wrong and so God gave us these laws and he gives us the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament and says, hey, don't do these things because if you do these things, they hurt you. And so we have these, these rules and it feels like rules, but God's actually inviting us to live an abundant life. But there's this tension, if you break the rules, there's got to be punishment and God, because he's just, he can't just ignore sin. But he loves us. Remember, that's why he created the whole universe. He loves us, so he can't just destroy sin because to destroy sin would be to destroy you and me. Ever since Adam and Eve, it's been a part of us. It's part of all humanity. So God can't just ignore sin because that would be unjust. He wouldn't be a holy God. He wouldn't be a just God. He can't ignore it. He can't just destroy it because he loves us. And so there's this tension throughout the Bible. And in this moment, this woman's brought before Jesus They're going, what should we do? Should we punish or should we ignore? Because one would violate the other. One would violate justice. The other would violate love. And then Jesus does something brilliant. He says, okay, whoever's without sin, let them throw the first stone. And then it says that they all walked away one by one. Why? Because none of them were without sin. 
Quick survey. I mentioned the Ten Commandments. One of those in there is that we shouldn't lie. How many of you here have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Keep them up. Look around. Look at all the liars in the room. Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you just lied at camp. How could you do that? How many of you have ever dishonored your mom or your dad? Whoa, you guys raised your hands quickly. Okay. The Bible says that, that even to, to look at somebody with, with anger, to have anger in, in your heart towards a person, like an unjust anger, that that's, that's like murder, Jesus says. How many of you have ever called somebody a name, wanted to hurt somebody, do something? Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, wow. Even the teachers, man. Here's what makes Jesus different. Jesus is the only one in this moment that this woman's brought before him. He's the only one that actually hasn't sinned. He's the only one who wouldn't have raised his hand. He's the only one who has lived the perfect life. See, Jesus kept all of the law, and that's important for all of us. He had never broken any of the rules. He kept all of the law. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He's alone without sin. If you skip to John chapter 9, there's this moment where the religious leaders, they wanted to have a, a theological discussion about a person who was born blind and go, well, well is it his sin? Is it his parents' sin because he was born blind? Who sinned to cause this to happen? Jesus comes in and heals and they go, whoa, 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 there's a rule. You can't do stuff on the Sabbath. It was their rule. They made it up. It wasn't God's rule. They had abused this and added a bunch of rules to God's law. And Jesus heals this man and he goes, to these religious leaders who are like, hey, what, what happened? Who is Jesus? Is he a sinner? We're, we're trying to figure out what's going on. And the guy's like, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. All I know is Jesus transformed my life. Because Jesus, what he does when he encounters people who are sinners, who are in need of restoration, who have been marred by sin, their sin, sin done to them, sin done by others, sin in the environment, we have all been affected by it. When Jesus shows up, he forgives Jesus heals, Jesus restores, Jesus gives life. In John 10, Jesus talks about our enemy. He says the thief, and I used to always think when he talks about the thief, he was talking about Satan, and what he says about the thief is true of Satan, but it's directed at the religious leaders. He wanted to put a bunch of rules and burden on people. That's who Jesus is talking to. He says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes to kill our little claymation creatures, right? Okay. I got a, got a little cliff on my finger. There we go. Okay. Just getting your attention. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But then he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How is Jesus going to do that? He says in the next verse, I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says he can forgive by absorbing. He can heal by taking on affliction. He can restore by being torn down. He can give life by his death and resurrection. And then 
news comes to Jesus that his friend Lazarus has died. And Jesus, in this incredible sign, John calls them signs, he gives us this little peek behind the curtain. See, when Jesus is doing miracles, you'll notice his miracles aren't like rain down fire from heaven. His miracles are restorative. He heals. He takes this wedding feast, and they're going, hey, we're all out of wine. And he says, no, no, pour out that water into these jugs. And, and then it becomes wine, and it's the best wine. And he says, no, no, I'm bringing in celebration. This, this feast is going to continue. Where the signs, if you go into the Old Testament in Exodus, it was water to blood. They were destructive. It was plagues. It was gnats. Jesus shows up, and his are restorative. It's a, it's a better than the signs of the Exodus. He's ushering in a new covenant. He's ushering in a new era. He's healing. He's restoring. He hears about his friend Lazarus, who is dead. And Jesus goes, and he arrives late. His friend's already dead, already in the tomb. And the sister of Lazarus comes out and is like, hey, you're too late. Had you been here, you could have healed him. Then Jesus has this incredible conversation in John chapter 11. Jesus says to her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, listen to this. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. What does that mean? Doesn't make any sense. Jesus is saying that your body can die, but that doesn't kill you. See, you are a soul that has a body. You are the original biodegradable container. So am I. Paul says that we're like seeds that will be planted into the ground and we'll, the seed perishes, but new life grows out of that, that our bodies will perish. But Jesus says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die, saying that that life can never be taken away for the one who believes in Jesus. Do you believe this? Jesus asked her. And tonight, Jesus is asking every one of us this question, not us collectively, not all in unison, not what your teachers think or what your pastors or your parents or what I or what the Hume staff, what we think and what we want for you. Jesus is asking you this question, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. The next chapter, Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly. And then the time has come. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus says, it's it. All of this history, remember Genesis, all the way to Malachi saying, hey, a Savior is coming. A Savior is coming. Jesus says, the time is not coming. The time is now. Here it is. It's about to happen. The Son of Man is about to be glorified. So what does Jesus do as this new victorious king ushering in a new era, a new covenant, new life for any who put their faith in? What Jesus does is he wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. I'm going, whoa, 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 what? What are you doing, Jesus? And what he's doing is he is showing this agape love that has existed for all eternity. He is revealing a better kind of love, better than our, our earthly human love. He's saying, no, no, I want to show you divine love. And he begins to serve his disciples. And he says, this is a model I am setting for you. This is an example. If you do what I am showing you, you will be blessed. It's an invitation. Jesus is saying, join me with this kind of love. This love is so much better. He washes the disciples' feet and he begins to tell them about what's about to happen. That he's going to be betrayed, 
arrested, crucified. And all along the way, he's saying, but listen, listen, listen. I'm going to go away for a while. I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you by yourselves. I'm going to send you a helper. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. The spirit of truth. An advocate. And Jesus goes, it's actually better for you what's about to happen. And he talks about his upcoming crucifixion and how he's going to go away. And Thomas asks this question, Lord, how do, how do we know which way you're going? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what Jesus is doing is he is shifting the focus, the identity of these disciples who are scared at what Jesus is saying. Jesus, you're saying you're going to go to the cross? We thought you were going to be victorious, that you were going to usher in a new era. You would be the, the ruler. And he shifts their focus. He shifts their hope. He changes their identity. He shifts the focus of his disciples from themselves and their circumstances. See, for so many of us, we are so wrapped up in just looking at ourselves and looking at our circumstances. And Jesus wants us to lift our heads and look bigger and look further and look at what eternity has for us. And look at what God is doing in the world. See, Jesus is restoring all things. And he wants us to turn our attention, our focus to that, to understand our identity because of what he is doing for us, what he has done for us, that our very identity changes and it changes our focus from our present circumstances to the future reality and that reality that Jesus says we're to pray, may the ways of heaven be done here on earth. He shifts his disciples' focus from the present circumstances. I have a, a student her name's Gabby. Gabby's a junior. And uh, last year, Gabby and her small group of friends, uh, we have a, a cabin in Arizona, and they went and they did this small group retreat with their small group leader, and they had a ton of fun. And Gabby got back, and it was a couple weeks later, she started having these headaches and went to the doctor, and the doctors diagnosed her with terminal brain cancer. And in the course of just a few months, uh, Gabby's health began to slip. She was a just such a bright, wonderful, beautiful, healthy young woman. And we watched as this awful disease began to cause her to lose sight and lose hearing. And then just months ago, I, I sat by her bed in the ICU with her family, with friends, and we prayed one last time. And Gabby graduated to be with Jesus. And in that moment, it is so devastating. There is nothing that prepares you for that moment. Yet at the same time, there was this weird mix of grief and hope and pain and beauty because Gabby had put her trust in Jesus. And it was so evident in her life. She wasn't even afraid of death. Everybody else around, we were way more afraid for her. She wasn't even afraid because she believed that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through him. So she put her trust in him. And I got to tell you, Gabby is healed today in the presence of Jesus. That all those things that her soul has longed for that this world could never offer, she experiences in the glory of heaven with Jesus. That's the bigger work that Jesus was doing, which shocked everybody because they thought he was doing something temporary. No, he was doing something so much bigger. He told them 
in John 16, hey, things are going to be rough for a bit. It's going to seem like maybe God's not at work or that God's abandoned you. He's going, no, 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 don't worry. Verse 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, he says. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Things went exactly as Jesus predicted. He was betrayed, praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And a small army came to arrest him. Peter pulls out a sword, cuts off a guy's ear. It's kind of a cool story. You can look it up. Jesus picks up the ear. I don't know if he, like, blew off the dirt, puts it back on the guy. I don't know why I told you that. John 18. Jesus has been arrested, and he's facing now this crucifixion, which he knew was coming. By the way, nobody took Jesus' life. He gave it. There were multiple times people tried to throw Jesus off a cliff or capture him, and it says he just walked through their midst. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He gave up his life. He's being questioned by Pilate, verse 33 of John 18. Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus gives a a little response, and they're going back and forth. And then Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Basically, he says, Pilate, you're thinking way too small. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Jesus says, this is why I'm here. In this world full of lies, in this world full of deceit, when Satan speaks his native language, he is speaking lies. He says, in this world that is full of lies, Jesus says, I have come. The reason I was born is to testify to the truth. I am the one that's been promised all the way from Genesis until now that I am the king of kings, that I am the one who transcends all time and history, and that I have humbled and emptied myself, and I have taken on human form to meet you where you are at in your mess, and here's my purpose, is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Not wanting to debate and kind of in a cowardly response, Pilate says this. He goes, what is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there, said, I find no basis for a charge against him. He was innocent. He was blameless. He was the Lamb of God without any blemish. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And I wonder what it was like for Barabbas watching Jesus take up the cross that was meant for him and go and die on a hill that was supposed to be his death. And I wonder if that clicked for Barabbas in that moment because the reality is that's what Jesus did for all of us. All of us deserve death. Romans 6.23, it's a good verse that sums up really the story of the Bible. It says that the wages of sin is death. What we earn for our sin is death. And if I could illustrate this, if I was up here and I'm having a conversation, in fact, I am going to illustrate it. What's your name? Jacob. Jacob. Come up here, Jacob. Yeah. You thought he was going to shake my hand. If I'm here having a conversation with Jacob, Jacob, you play baseball? Yes. You look like a baseball player. Just kidding. I saw your necklace. Okay. Jacob and I are here, we're talking, it's a baseball, and a baseball bat, in case you can't see that, yeah. Uh-huh. 
observation. So we're up here having a conversation. We're, we're building a friendship, right? Like we're, I mean, Jacob, we go way back, like 30 seconds. So Jacob and I, we're like 30 second best friends. Okay, now say all of a sudden, there's like a storm and a lightning bolt comes in, hits Jacob, boom, Jacob goes down. Yeah, yeah, it's really happening. Oh man, slow, dramatic, I like it. Here, I'll move this table. You stay there, Jacob, you're dead. So just a moment ago, Jacob and I were having a conversation. Jacob, who's your favorite baseball team? Auburn. No, you're dead. You can't. Jacob, who's your favorite baseball team? I bet it's the Dodgers. But he didn't tell me that because he's dead. So the point I want you guys to understand, Jacob's here. We're hanging out. We're having a conversation. Boom, Jacob dies. We were able to, to connect, and there was this relationship. But when he died, what happened now? His body's here, but Jacob's not here, right? So here's what you need to understand. When the Bible talks about death, we're not talking about physical death. The wages of sin, stay, stay dead. The wages of sin is death. We're talking about spiritual death, a relational death. There is a separation that comes from death. Wages are what you earn. All of us admitted we sin, so what we earn for our sin is separation. But, the verse doesn't end. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, what is a gift? Wow. I didn't hear any words. Okay, what is a gift? Do you have to earn a gift? No. If you earn it, what is it? It's a wage, right? So a gift is given freely. Now, the, stay dead. The gift of God is eternal life. Eternal just describes the kind of life. It's forever. It's unending. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So, say I get one of those... Um, defibrillators, and I do that whole thing. What do I yell? And we do the... <laughs> and Jacob, Jacob's eyes open up. Oh, man. <laughs> no, I don't need to do that. Okay, come on up. Hey, guys, Jacob's alive. Wow. <laughs> he waved. <laughs> That's what you do if somebody defibrillates you. You stand up and you just give a little wave at everybody, and then you give that guy some orange juice. Okay. Man, that was crazy. Hey, what is your favorite baseball team? Dodgers. Dodgers. You know that uh, one of their coaches actually was my kid's baseball coach in Arizona? True story before he went to the Dodgers, third base coach, Chris something. I don't know. Okay, anyhow, so see how, like, we're totally becoming best friends right now. If death separated Jacob and I, what did life do? That's why you don't sit in the front row, by the way. What does life do? What does life do? Who said brings you together? Gold star, okay. Now this verse that we just read said that the gift of God, a gift, I have a gift right here, Jacob. Is it your birthday? Yeah. Great, because this bag says happy birthday. It doesn't have to, but I have a gift for Jacob. Jacob, what do you have to do to receive this gift? Pray for my birthday. Take it. Just take it, right? You don't have to open it right now. It's kind of awkward because I don't have one for everybody. You just hang on to that. You can open. Okay, you can open it. Hey, Jacob. It says sharing size right there, just so you know. So you take that. Um, what else do you do when you receive a gift? You say thank you. Is that right? Can you guys thank Jacob for being up here? You can have a seat.
Here's the story of the Bible. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. He paid the debt of your sin, and he offers you this gift of life. See, death, sin, separated us from God. Religion is us trying to work our way to God, but what can a dead person do? Nothing. Just lay there, right? So when you and I couldn't work our way to God, listen, this is really important, God, in love and mercy and in grace, worked his way to us and through the person of Jesus, lived the perfect life we couldn't live, gave that life on the cross. On the third day, by the power of the Spirit, God rose Jesus from the grave, proving that he's conquered death, which means he holds the keys to life. He offers life to whomever he chooses. And he said it's available as a gift for whoever believes in me. So my question for you, it's not my question, it's Jesus' question. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? For some of you here, this is the night that you're going to cross that line of faith and go, you know what? I believe it. I'm not going to try religion. I'm not going to try rebellion. Neither of those work. I'm going to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so I'm going to give you an invitation here in just a moment to make that statement, Jesus is Lord. And if you want to say that, you've not put your trust in Jesus, you're saying, you know what, I'm ready to cross that line. I'm ready to say, yes, Jesus, I believe. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to do something bold in front of your peers, and it's going to take courage. I'm going to ask you to stand up and declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Those three words, Jesus is Lord. And the rest of us, we're going to cheer you on. So if that's you and you want to make that decision, on the count of three, stand up. One, two, three. Keep standing. Keep standing. Awesome. Keep standing. I'm going to ask that you would keep standing. Stand up again because we're going to do something. We're going to pray together. But listen, this, this journey of following Jesus, even though it's a personal decision, nobody can make that decision for you. You make that decision. It's not a private one. It's one that we share. We declare it out loud. And you have a team that encourages you, that walks alongside you. And, and you guys have the beauty of being in a school where you have people that will support you in this journey at school. And so I'm going to ask if you are seated next to somebody who just stood, would you stand up next to them? Stand up with them. Would you put a hand on a shoulder or reach out towards them? Don't be creepy or weird. Let them know that you're there. Nobody should be standing alone. If anybody's standing alone, if you got to get up and move, get up and move. And I'm going to ask that you guys would pray. If you got a handout towards somebody, would you pray with me? If you're one who just stood, would you pray? There's nothing magic about these words. It's just us declaring what we just read in Scripture. In your own heart and mind, would you talk to your heavenly Father? Would you say, God, I know that I need a Savior. You can say it out loud. That's fine, too. And I know, Jesus, that you provided the way. Thank you for giving your life on the cross. 
for me. I say yes to this gift. I trust you as Lord, as leader. Jesus, I look forward to the day of the resurrection. What a beautiful promise. Thank you for this great gift. Amen.